when you have uh, crises going on, uh, whether it's something natural like the pandemic we've got now or uh, in Habakkuk's day, what we're going to read, um, struggle because of violence and oppression of human beings, you want to turn to God as a refuge. And um, But if you look at God only sentimentally, thinking that he's probably nice, um, there's no real help to be had from him other than maybe you hope commiseration or something like that. Um, to have a real refuge, you have to have a real God. Uh, and the real God, as Habakkuk finds out in this passage, is um, wild, uh, uncontrollable, unpredictable, um, and his ways are not our ways. He doesn't do what we think he should do. We don't have him figured out. Um, but he's in control of the world in his sovereign power. Uh, there's nothing that surprises him. There's nothing that happens apart from his will. And the Bible's clear about this. It's bewildering to us to understand how that can be, but this is what we're taught to have hope in. Um, and at the same time, we're taught to have strong hope in the idea that he is merciful to us in Jesus Christ. So he's in control. We don't understand him. We don't usually know what he's doing, but we do know that in Jesus Christ, he loves us and his intention towards us is good. Um, but boy, that doesn't mean he does what we expect him to do. Uh, Habakkuk has had this big complaint, very honest complaint before God, because he's seen in Israel, God's own people, uh, terrible violence, oppression, uh, people seeming to behave worse than the pagans, doesn't understand how God can allow this. Just look on silently while this kind of stuff goes on. And he, and he lays out that complaint in the first few uh, verses of, the, of Habakkuk 1 and then waits for the answer. And the answer he gets is not at all what he expects. Um, it's uh, not what he ever would have guessed. So I'm going to read that for us now, and then we'll uh, talk about and try to understand it. Let me pray first. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes and speak to us as we listen to your word. We pray that even as you surprise us and we don't understand you, that we would be able to trust you. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So reading beginning at uh, verse 5 in Habakkuk 1, it says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, and they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh, they laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you've ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. 
You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook, drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. And therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I'll take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And this is the word of God. It's absolutely true. And it's given to us because he loves us. So like fish in the sea, great metaphor, lives uh, under the thumb of oppression and cruelty or under the thumb of natural disasters, uh, make our lives feel valueless and pointless. We're just like fish in the sea being dragged up in a net. Nothing more important than that. We're disposable. And uh, this bewilders Habakkuk. Uh, this is the behavior of the Chaldeans, the, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, the ones that uh, uh, rose up so fast and conquered Assyria and then just about as quickly were conquered by Persia. But... Uh, they were the ones that dragged off Judah into exile. The northern tribes had already been dragged off by Assyria, and now um, the southern tribes, who thought they were the pure ones, the ones that were safe because they were good, aren't. And so they get dragged off now by the Babylonians. And God's using this awful people um, to do his bidding, which is very strange to us. Um, sometimes it feels like uh, situations like this would be easier if you didn't have faith um, because you would just say, well, this is just the way the world is. Um, nobody's to blame. It's just one thing after another happening. Um, because when you have confidence that God is in control of the world, that he's sovereign, and then you see things happening, it becomes personal and perplexing. You think, why would he do this? Why would he let these things happen? Why doesn't he act and care? And that's, that's the kind of stuff Habakkuk says. And his complaints, why well, it doesn't make any sense. If God is good and if God sees this and can do something about it, that he wouldn't. And uh and so that's what he asks. And he takes this complaint to God and says, Don't you even care? Don't you take this seriously? And it turns out that God takes it very, very seriously, far more seriously than Habakkuk thought or dreamed. Um We had a dog when I was a teenager named Rover, and uh, that's not my fault. But Rover was a good enough dog, and you know how they do. They they uh, they draw you in, and you start loving them. And Rover got sick, so we took him to the vet, um, which I'm in principle against. But we took Rover to the vet, and thinking, you know, he needs a puppy upper or something, so he'll feel better. And instead, the veterinarian gave him arsenic because he had heartworms. And the way they get rid of heartworms is that they give you enough poison to kill the heartworms, hopefully without killing the dog. But when you're going in looking for, you know, an upper and you get arsenic instead, it's pretty shocking and surprising. And that's kind of what happens with Habakkuk here. He's asking for a little help, and instead he gets 
this overwhelming response that God is going to raise up this vicious people to come and completely conquer Israel, Judah, what's left of Israel. And it's not at all what he expects. In verse 5 and 6, he says, Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. I'm doing something you'd never believe, even if you were told. Uh, that God's plan for dealing with his people is to raise up this awful, cruel, and evil nation to conquer them. Just what he was expecting, right? It's, uh, it's bewildering to Habakkuk. How, how could that possibly be what God's going to do or God's answer is complaint? It, it doesn't make sense. And like Habakkuk's wondering out loud, like, does this mean it's over? Does this mean the whole covenant and everything that uh, God has done with his people is ending? You know, he says in verse 12, uh, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. But the tone is, we shall not die, will we? I mean, is this it? Is God completely abandoned us forever? And so he says, I'll, I'm going to go sit on the watchtower and watch and wait and see what God's going to do. I, I don't know. I, I'm totally perplexed by this being God's answer. To my complaint. Now we know from the perspective of history that it wasn't over. God hasn't abandoned his people. Um, but um, all that he said he would do in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, Moses' books, he's doing. Right at the end of Deuteronomy, the end of Moses' life, before the people go into the promised land, you have this elaborate listing of covenant curses and covenant blessings uh, given to God's people, saying, if you're faithful to me, if you obey me, if you keep my law and are loyal to me, all these blessings will come to you. And if you abandon me and you go worship other gods and you're cruel to people and you oppress, then all of these curses are going to come upon you. They had this dramatic scene uh, just as they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. On Mount Ebal, the priest stood and declared the covenant curses on the people. And the and on Mount Gerizim, the priest stood and declared the covenant blessings on the people. And so they always lived uh, in light of these things. You have this relationship with God, but there are stipulations to it. There, there are vows in the marriage between us and God. And if you break them, um, then these curses will come on you. And that's what's happening here. The uh, promise that instead of prospering, that they would be overrun and taken into exile, and they would be destroyed by nations uh, larger and more violent than them, came true. Um, it's one of those things where you think, I know I know this is probably true, but I can't believe it's actually going to happen to me in my time. And that's what's happening in Habakkuk's time. These things, you know, the bills are finally coming due. Um, people have broken the covenant. And so they don't experience the blessings of the covenant anymore. Um, problem with the blessings and curses always, though, is this. It's like, who, whoever keeps the covenant stipulations well enough to warrant God's favor and blessing? When did Israel ever do that? When do any of us ever do that? And the answer is that we don't. Um, that there's no way we could have an agreement and bargain with God that if we keep up our part of the deal, he'll keep up his part of the deal because we can never keep up our part of the deal. It's who we are and we're incapable of it. So our hope is not that we can try harder to keep the covenant and uh, bring God's blessings on ourselves. 
Our hope is that someone else do that for us. That Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of Israel in his own person, who lives out a life of faithfulness to God and covenant keeping, who keeps all the stipulations of the covenant, and then who suffers all the curses of the covenant on our behalf, even though he was an innocent victim. Uh, he becomes the covenant keeper. He's uh, kept God's law, and he suffered under the curse of God's law on our behalf. And that's our hope. That's why Paul says in Romans that the, uh, the righteous requirement of the law has been met in us, uh, not who work, but who believe, uh, because God has given over his son to death for us. Jesus has kept the covenant. Uh, otherwise, the curses described in Habakkuk are just the beginning of uh, God's righteous and just destruction of rebellious people like us. The reason we hope for mercy is because of what Jesus has done, not because we're better than other people relatively or that somehow we can make up for our bad deeds with compensatory good deeds. Our hope is that Jesus has come and has uh, kept the covenant for us. Paul, when he was preaching in Acts, it was something we looked at a few months ago as church, uh, talked about this. He preached to a Jewish audience and was urging them to put their faith in their Messiah, Jesus, who'd come to keep the covenant. And it says this, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And then he quotes this passage in Habakkuk about uh, wonder and be astounded. I'm going to do something you wouldn't believe even if you were told. So he's saying um, your hope is that Jesus has kept the covenant for you. Uh, keeping the law of Moses could never make you right with God. You, 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 it's too hard for you to keep. Um, so don't reject the one hope that you have in the Messiah. He says, uh, he's your only hope of being right with God. So that's the argument. Uh, Habakkuk says, why do you allow this violence to go on? God says, you have no idea how seriously I take this violence. And uh, I'm going to come with the covenant curses and you'll be astounded at how seriously I take these things. But he's not destroying them. Uh, he's disciplining them. For them, like us, the path to heaven is violent. Uh, there has a lot of serious change has to happen in our lives before we'll be fit for the new creation. And God's committed to doing that. It's discipline. It's not condemnation. Uh, but he does discipline the ones he loves. So, well, that's uh, not the most comforting thing in the world to think about in the time of crisis, is that the, uh, here's the pandemic hope, is that God is um, willing to use unbelievably bad things for good ends, and he does it in a way it's totally perplexing to us, and we're supposed to trust him anyway. Um, but that's true. And I want to talk about a couple of conclusions that we draw from this in our lives, uh, from the answer that Habakkuk got that wasn't very satisfying to him. First conclusion is success in your life does not mean that you have the endorsement of God. Success does not mean that you live under God's favor and the reason you're doing well is because he's impressed with you. You just can't draw that conclusion. The Chaldeans were wildly successful. Uh, 
Nobody stood before them. Fortified cities would fall. They just built siege works. It was easy. Kings were nothing to them. Uh, they just rolled through and were constantly successful. They basically, it says, made their own rules. It says their justice and dignity go forth from themselves in verse 7. Uh, rules are for other people. God, God doesn't see or care about our injustices and oppression and cruelty. Uh, apparently, God accepts my weak justifications for what I'm doing. And so um, I must be fine with God because I'm succeeding. And that's just not true. It's a conclusion we're tempted to draw when things go well for us, but it's not. It's not the promise of God that just because things are going well doesn't mean that God ignores what's going on in your life or that you live uh, under his endorsement. It, it just doesn't. And what happens if you do assume this, that your success implies that God uh, is fully and totally pleased with you all the time, is you wind up putting your trust in the means that God uses to help you rather than in God himself. So they began to worship their might and they worshiped their nets because that's where they got their luxury and wealth from. And uh, so don't assume that uh, just because things might be going well for you that you're right in the eyes of God because that's not, that's not a right conclusion to draw. Uh, second conclusion, um, don't think that you've taken the measure of God. Uh, He's called incomprehensible for a reason <laughs> because even you, even I can't comprehend him. Um, his ways are beyond our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. Um, Habakkuk's mad. He questions God's justice. He says, don't you even care? You know, you should care. I think I know how you should be and you're not being that way. And what Habakkuk learns is that God's gaze uh, hits us too. And so when we ask God to act out in justice, uh, we do so at our own peril because uh, we rightly stand under his justice. And uh, just because we're relatively better than someone else, I mean, the Israelites were better than the Chaldeans. Uh, Chaldeans were more sinful than the Israelites were. You know how much God cared about that? Not much. You know, when we, uh, when we start in with whataboutism arguments with God, he's unimpressed by them. <laughs> What about the Chaldeans? They're worse than us. And God says, they're not your standard. I'm your standard. And um, that's a very rigorous standard. Right? So we don't have God uh, measured. Um, we don't understand what he's doing. We don't have him figured out. We might get a little glimpse here and there, uh, but we don't know what he's doing. He is wiser than we are. His ways are different than our ways. So that's a, a reason to be quiet, a reason to um, just go to the watchtower and listen without having a whole lot to say. Okay, third conclusion is that uh, faith is often very perplexing. And I know it's supposed to be the case that, you know, people have faith in God because they can't handle thinking about the realities of life. Uh, they want some simple, easy answers for comfort, and I certainly do want easy answers for comfort, but I don't have them here. Right? Faith is perplexing. Even if you look at the experience of Jesus Christ, uh, think of the night before he was killed um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told his disciples, 
with tremendous certainty and faith. Uh, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. You will eventually understand it, but you don't understand now. And place a pretty serious confidence for Jesus and what he's doing and what's happening. And then right after that, you see him in anguish before the father, sweating drops of blood and asking if there's any way the cup could pass from him, if there's any other way than this. Then you see him with all the confidence and faith in the world on the cross, uttering the cry of dereliction from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and this is a human life of perfect faith that still deals with that kind of perplexity. If that's true for Jesus, how much more for us, right? Our, our life with God will be filled with perplexity. And um, that doesn't mean it's broken, right? That's to be expected in our lives, you know. You watch while Jesus is crucified and Pilate and the Sanhedrin prosper and succeed and you wonder what's going on. We know, and like the old Scottish preachers used to say, that the Lord, strike, Lord strikes straight blows with crooked sticks. But that almost never uh, is comforting to us in the moment. We, it's, it's always perplexing to us when the Lord uses crooked sticks to strike the straight blows. So don't be surprised when faith is perplexing. That's just the way it is. Um, but the last conclusion is we take our perplexity to God. Um, we're not to social distance ourselves from God when we are in perplexity. But go to him. Even if you don't have anything to say, you go to him. Uh, go sit on the watchtower and wait. Um, you know, about half of the Psalms, a little less, but almost half of the Psalms are laments with Christians saying, I don't understand why this is happening to me. Please, please help. Uh, please deliver. This is this is excruciating. I don't know what's going on. And, you know, a lot of them, by the end of the psalm, you get a lot of reassurance, but some of them you don't. And with Habakkuk's laments here, you don't get a lot of reassurance. Not until the very end of the book, and even there just a little bit. But we go to God and lament. We're supposed to. It's fine to do that. Um, you go with the Bible in your hands and the body and blood of Jesus Christ on your breath, and you sit on the watchtower and you wait. You think about the promises. He said, you'd never leave me or forsake me. Um, said that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Um, said that he's a very present help to us in time of trouble. Says that God, having given us his own son, uh, will not now also along, will also along with him now give us everything we need. He's not going to be withholding from us now, having given us his son. Doesn't mean he's going to be comprehensible or understandable at all. It doesn't mean that your path to heaven is going to be smooth and peaceful and nonviolent. Um, but what it does mean is that you have a Savior who's kept the covenant for you. And because of him, you live in the favor of God. And the sovereign God, who's in control of the world, uh, doesn't let anything come into your life that doesn't pass through his wise and loving hands first. So... Go sit on your watchtower and be quiet and put your trust in your Father. Let's pray. Father, we don't understand everything we need or want to understand, but uh, we do 
understand that you love us and have come to our rescue in Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we uh, think and talk about our circumstances uh, with this uh, disease that's affecting the whole world, as well as the other circumstances in our lives that press down on us very hard, that you would let us trust you even if we don't fully understand you. Uh, be merciful to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.